Hey you. Whoa, didn't expect to see you here. Thanks so much for being curious enough to check us out. You're about to gift your ears the soothing, sensational and seductive sounds of the Story Network podcast. But before I jump into the emotive and inspirational introduction, I actually just want to take a moment and thank you for tuning in and then welcome you to the Story Network community. So thank you and welcome. Now, let's roll that intro. Hit it. This is the emotive and inspirational introduction to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins and it is my job to inspire connection, collaboration and creation through open and honest conversation. So let's put our lives aside for a moment, connect heart to heart, mind to mind, share with each other, learn from each other and inspire each other to be more, to feel more and experience more. 7.54 billion stories on one earth. We are the Story Network, and this is the Story Network Podcast. Woo! The Story Network. Let's do it! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Story Network Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Alyssa Vignone. She is a therapist, an art therapist, and an artist. And in today's conversation, we're talking about her career as a, as a therapist, but also her work as an artist. I actually came across her through Instagram. I found uh, a project she was doing around mask making, looking at the masks that we wear in our everyday life and sort of the connection with that in, in the era of COVID-19 and government mandated mask wearing. So this conversation is quite wide ranging. We talk a lot about artistic practice. We talk about resistance, perfection her experience as a therapist and as an artist. It really has so much to offer. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I trust you will too. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging, immersive, exciting conversation with the one and only Alyssa Vignone. Alyssa, thank you so much for coming onto the Story Network podcast. It's so great to meet you after um, a bit of conversations over Instagram. As a bit of context, I came across you on Instagram because you were doing a art project um, with with masks that really piqued my interest. Very um, almost like sort of like installations um, on people's faces with masks, linking with photography. Um, to get us started, maybe you could give a little bit of context about this project that you're working on. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me too. Um, I'm really excited to do this with you. Um, yeah, so the context behind it, what originally started it was um, having to wear masks mandated for coronavirus. I don't know if you're mandated to have a mask where you are, um, but we certainly are here, especially in New Jersey um, and New York City too. And so I was thinking I was hearing from people, you know, I can't believe I have to wear this mask. This is so new for me. And I started thinking from a mental health aspect that it wasn't that new or foreign um, for us to be wearing masks because we wear masks all the time to protect ourselves from, you know, certain environments or people, they're just invisible and all of ours are different. Um, so it kind of started from there and I started just making a bunch of masks every time like a mental health issue came up for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really, really awesome. And it seems, you know, from looking at work and having a bit of conversation with you, it seems that 
all of your work kind of revolves around these two core passions, um, mm -hmm. a passion around mental illness and then also a passion around the arts. I was wondering maybe if you could provide a little bit of context about how you came across those passions and how you see them intersecting in your work and in the world at large. Sure. Um, so I went to school originally um, for my uh, bachelor's in psychology. So I wanted to be, you know, a talk therapist. Um, that's also very popular here to be a talk therapist. Um, but I was also taking art classes. Um, and I really just became in love with it. And I'm like, I want to do this all the time. I don't want to really do therapy all the time. And the school that I was going to, they actually had an art therapy program and you had to double major in art and therapy. And I was like, perfect. I want to do that. Um, and that's kind of how I got started into it. Um, and then I learned so much kind of going through the process. I would say right now it, with the work that you're seeing, you know, on my page, it's more predominantly art, um, with a mental health piece to it. And then when I'm doing therapy, it's predominantly working on my art with that like little piece of mental health and then it switches over when I'm doing therapy and it's predominantly working on you know like psychological point of views with a little bit of art in it so it it switches and I learn so much from it and I always have new ideas from it too. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, interested. So it seems like, like initially, so psychology was where you started. So that was kind of your starting point going into your bachelor's degree, correct? Yeah, and I didn't even know if I wanted to do that. I was just like, let me just start here. Yeah, right. And then, and then did you find that, that through then your exposure to the art, your ability to connect with psychology change? Like, like did art open up a new realm of psychology for you? It did. Um, it did more so when I started doing specifically art therapy, because I do verbal therapy with people too, that don't, you don't want to do art therapy, but yeah. there's such a significant difference with art therapy. I feel like people are more vulnerable when you're doing it because it's not something that is as easily accessible for us as human beings as verbal talk is, right? Because we learn that you know, kind of like one year out of the womb, we're ready, you know, we're ready to start talking. It's not the same with art. Yeah, right. And so what, what, so now are you, are you a practicing art therapist? Is that where the trajectory has gone for you? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. So um, that's where I find more passion is doing art therapy, but I'm more than happy to do verbal talk too. And, you know, hopefully get them on board <laughs> later on. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And so for audience members, like this is so interesting and, and I'm so excited to, to have you on because there's this intersection of, of, of therapy and art and also there's sort of, especially in our current climate with, with mental illness around the world, you know, I think depression is considered like the number one, like disease in the world, which mm -hmm. is a bunch of information coming out around that, especially in these times of isolation and quarantine. Sure. Like um, when, now, as you're sort of moving forward, what role do you think art therapy plays in sort of our current circumstances? And, and is, it, is it something that maybe can be, needs to be accessed with a therapist or is it something that maybe like an individual could explore art as a means of therapy in their own life? Um, so there's, there's a bunch of different answers to those questions. Um, the first one is that I hope it does become more important, but I realize that it also depends on what country you live in. Um, like right now, where I am in New Jersey and New York, it's it's more 
it's becoming more important. It's becoming more popular. But I remember traveling three years ago to Ireland and telling them that I was doing art therapy. And they're like, we don't have that here. You need to come over here and start doing that and start. And so I realized every country is in a different place with that. Um, so I'm wondering what's, what it's going to be for each, you know, sort of place to be able to bring, bring that to life. Um, and then what were your other questions? Sorry. Uh, well, just then in terms of like, is art therapy something oh, that could be accessible? Yeah. For and you were talking about depression. So, and then one thing too, I want to clarify with depression. Um, it's very normal to have depression. At, yeah. you know, at, they say most, if not all, experience one episode of depression throughout their whole entire life. So it's a very normal thing to have. And so that's why it's so important not to shame people on yeah. um, when they are experiencing it, whether they have it once or twice, it's so normal. Um, so I try and normalize it to any time that I can. Um, and what I love about art therapy so much is it taps into an unconscious part of our brain um, that um, what we're not usually normally accessing either. So that's why when, so usually when I'm sitting with a client um, and I start doing this, they become angry at me. Um, and usually the reason why is because any barriers that they built up they now can't protect themselves with because we're using something completely, we're using a completely different language. Um, so they kind of walk out, you know, pissed from the first session and they're like, what is this? You know, but then they always come back and they're like, no, this is helpful. Um, so it taps into a different part of the brain that doesn't allow you, I think, to lie as much. And that doesn't mean anyone that lies is a bad person person we all do it it's a way that we protect ourselves um and you can't really do it with art yeah yeah that's such a beautiful point and and I mean like even from my own experience like a lot of the time I think about I feel like so so much of the work I create and my background's primarily in in theater and um and then um also like film and 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 sort of like very sort of like visual collaborative processes but for me it's a lot of the time it's like trying to access and articulate feelings or experiences that are mm -hmm. oftentimes unarticulatable and this idea that through yeah. art we're able to articulate things that maybe just language alone cannot do mm -hmm. um and so I think like also you know to tie back into your your this idea about sort of destigmatizing mental health as well and and making it something that you know that every like like most people experience and that it is it is a part of sort of everyone's lives at least in some capacity like I think also what art allows us is spaces to be vulnerable and to have those conversations as well through creative processes, through practice. Yeah. And do, do you think that that sort of from maybe maybe to narrow down a little bit into your own experiences, have you found that your own artistic expressions have been in a way like like a, a, a therapy or, or a, a healing process for you? Uh, definitely. Um, and I've had, I've also had those um, points where I've been vulnerable in my work. And as soon as I have to show it, I'm like, take it down. It's horrible. So I even notice when I'm being vulnerable with it and I'm like, Oh my God, it has to come down. I'm like, that's, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It like clicks in my head. Um, but it's definitely helped me even to like heal from things that I didn't think I necessarily had to heal 
from or it helped something come out that I didn't know I was necessarily holding on to. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too because like there is that that inherent like resistance that you sometimes get caught up at where it's like, oh, now I yeah. need to make this public. <laughs> like now this is like I, I'm in a way attached to it. And I think I think also like you know, maneuvering that with sensitivity for your own self and, and self-compassion as well. That like that I think getting rid of this idea around art too, that it doesn't need to be this perfect, like like Da Vinci painting, you know, worthy painting. Like it's it it's about actually creating, it's about the process, it's about expressing expressing yourself and and that's something that only you can articulate throughout that process. And I mm -hmm. think um this this ability also just to create and let creation sort of take you in a lot of senses um, is, is really, really powerful. And, and it, it, on that note too, like, I think one of the things that is, is particularly sort of important for me is this idea of when, when I say give myself time to, like a practice I've been doing is when I get really stressed out, I try and paint because like painting is something that I just have accepted I'm not very good at. Like, like I, there's no, you know, like, like there's no pressure. I don't put pressure on yes, myself yes, yes, to, exactly, to do yeah. it um, yeah. because I'm, I'm, I've got no expectation. And in that, I find that that's times where like some of my best ideas for other projects will come up or Definitely. I'll notice that like, oh, I'm actually getting really emotional and I'm not sure like why that is, but it's almost mm -hmm. like gifting yourself time to actually just like be alone with your thoughts, be alone with, with maybe a creative piece, a creative practice. And, and that having that time actually gives you space to process and, and to work through things that maybe we don't, maybe we push down through all the masks that we, we try and wear because those masks sort of tell Definitely. us we need to keep them down. Yeah. And I, and everyone experienced different, you know, different types of emotions when they're doing their artwork. And even me, like the main thing I want to do sometimes is when I feel myself like even wanting to start to cry I'm like I want to stop because I'm like I don't want you know I'm enjoying myself making something I don't want to uh feel like pain or you know feel the emotions that are coming out of this um oh and then I remembered a question that you did ask me that I thought was important to answer too um so I think that people can look at their own artwork and um maybe pick up a couple of things from it, but I wouldn't recommend, you know, someone with a lot of trauma or someone who feels like they're not ready to look at their artwork to do it by themselves. Um, mm. Because as professionals, we're trained to hold that space for you. And we're also trained not to show you things that you're not ready for. So I may see something particular about your trauma in your artwork, but if I don't think that you're ready to process that, I'm going to hold on to that. Um, and I'm not going to tell you it until you're ready. So I think that's an important aspect too. kind of depends on where the individual is at. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really, really important. And that kind of makes me think like, in terms of this is because art therapy is something I've like heard about, but I don't fully know like the context about like when, when it sort of came about and how it's sort of yeah. operating like like obviously sort of you're in the US right now but like like where did art therapy come from and how is it being used as a practice say in the US from your experiences I want to say that it started around the late 60s by a woman named Kathy I'm gonna ruin her last name like Malchiati um if anyone wants to look her up, it's M-A-L-C-H-I-O-D-I. She is a guru of art therapy. It all came from her. Um, so I think she started it 
around that time, but it only it only became prominent here. And I'm on the East Coast. I can't even talk about the West Coast. I have no idea. Wow. Um, maybe five or ten years ago. Oh, so wow. That's, that's very recent. Yeah, right. And so I'm interested too, like how did how did that then fit into your course? Like what what did your sort of education look like to become qualified in art therapy? And then also as a as a practice, how how do you go about I guess communicating art therapy to other people because I think it sounds to me like one of the one of the hard things is for a lot of people like they're like art therapy that doesn't you know like that's not going to help me like I'm used to the just yeah. the talking therapist like how like what kind of conversations need to be happening around art therapy to get it maybe to something that is more accessible I think what's good for me is that I'm licensed to do talk therapy too yeah. so what happens is they may originally come to me for that um, and then I end up saying, Hey, why don't we try this? And then that's kind of where the relationship with art starts. Um, I've also worked at an eating disorder rehab and art therapy was just part of the curriculum. So they would start off in a group and then kind of get familiar with it and then want to do individual. Um, and then it's more popular for kids and adolescents to do some sort of play therapy. So then maybe they'll just change over to art. So that's kind of how, that's kind of how it starts. Um, but I don't think that it gets as much um, acknowledgement as it should. And I think though, that it's also because we just don't have enough research for it. Um, I know New Jersey is still trying to get a board together to get certified. New York is on its way. They're already good. Mm. Um, so we're trying to catch up to them um, in New Jersey. Right, right. And so I guess to, take the conversation in a slightly different direction to go back to sort of your project that you're working on at the moment with these masks. You know, I know you mentioned this, this idea that now masks are being mandated, but we're also accustomed to wearing masks in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is it about that relationship with these masks that interests you so much? And, and why do you feel like that's a conversation that needs to be had right now? Um, I think because what I'm so attracted to is that it's universal. You know, it's not wearing a mask is not something that happens just in New Jersey or just in the U.S. If this happens all over the world, you can talk, you know, talk to someone like you who's across the world right now and have a conversation about what you think um, your mask is and how it protects you from something. And I can relate to it either in the same way or in a different way, but we're still talking about the same thing. Um, and that's kind of what I was trying to do, like try to have a conversation with anyone. Um, and then also too, you'll notice that like, I try and make my work look uh, appealing so that it kind of invites you in. And it's not like, you're not right away like, oh, I don't want to look at that. That's a little bit too much for me. I'm kind of saying, come in, it's well received, but then you don't really realize that it's has more of a deeper meaning than what it appears to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's. I, I feel like that that point there is is a really profound point in the sense of of making these conversations accessible in a way that I think that sometimes you know, um, especially in 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 certain sort of fields of art, like like it can be very like aggressive of like here's the message, here it yeah. is, and and for a yeah. lot of people, like that can be very hard to connect with because it's like if we don't want to go to that place 
then we we we're just we're going to shut off like our master are going to come up and just put the walls up and be like absolutely not but yeah. but you know i i think it's it's really beautiful in your work is that that there is an accessibility to it and that that it is quite warm and welcoming and eye catching and and for for those listening to the podcast we'll we'll post some we'll sort of share some of your work um and and so that and link to your to your portfolio so people can come and see it um but i i think this this idea of of welcoming people in with this kind of art and then to have the conversation underneath it um is is Mm -hmm. where i i think the most profound sort of repercussions can come from these kind of artworks and yeah that that sort of sort of brings me to ask like now that you've created this work where do you see it going um forward like is it something that's still sort of growing are you thinking about turning into an exhibition what what's the plan yeah I I would like to think so I actually just um I'm working in an art residency for the week and the main point is for us to come up with a video in seven days so I actually spent the whole entire day today shooting a video that's the main concept is centered around literally what I just told you um three dancers including me were wearing masks um, and we're kind of just showing our pain through movement and wearing the mask. And then we come together and we take them off and we reveal ourselves to each other. Um, so that was kind of a new project for me. I've never filmed before. Um, and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Um, I'm hoping to, in the future, one of another artist friend was telling me it could be street art. So I was like, okay. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it could go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. That's really, really awesome. Um, and it makes me think when we were chatting beforehand, um, you had mentioned that um, one of the most significant moments in your life was your first art exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could take us back there and maybe talk a little about the process about how you made that happen. Because I think, you know, especially with this podcast, a lot of the audience is, is sort of young people who are looking again to the arts, who are aspiring creatives. How did you go about sort of curating your first exhibition and, and what lessons okay. did you learn from that experience? So mine was actually an interesting one. I don't know if my story is going to help with <laughs> young artists wanting to create their first exhibition. And I'll tell you why. Um at the time we, so when I was graduating, we had, we're, I don't want to say mandated, um, but we have to have a senior exhibition in a gallery, you know, the whole, the whole ten, you know, the whole nine yeah. basically. Um, and I was stalling because I couldn't come up with an idea that I felt so passionate about. So I was like, well, then I'd rather do nothing. Um, And I kind of waited till a moment that I remember my professor coming up to me and saying, I think you should just not graduate in your art degree because I don't think you're going to come up with anything. And I was like, I'm going to come up with something. I'll make it work, you know, but that's, I'm not doing that. Um, And I remember researching um, just art and just looking to see if I could get inspired by something. Um, and I came across, um, I feel like I'm going to butcher her name too, but maybe you can help me pronounce this. Um, the Japanese artist, um, Yeyo, uh, Yeyoi Kasuma. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Yeyoi Kasuma. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. So, um, I came across these tentacles that she made that were coming out of the ground. I don't know if you've ever seen them before. It was one of her early works, um, nothing kind of like she does now. Um, and I remember thinking, that's really cool. How do I 
use that in a way um, that she did. So what I ended up doing was actually something similar to what I'm doing now. I had, I made about 40 um, hands and I had them coming out of the wall and they were all coming out towards you and they kind of looked like, I would say like this. Um, and the point was when you're far away and you're walking into this installation, all these hands are coming out you like this and they're pushing the wall. Depending upon who you are, you're either going to see these hands reaching out towards you, you know, asking you to um, for help or to come closer, or you're going to see um, hands pushing your way, telling you to go farther away. So it's kind of challenging your vulnerability and seeing where you are with that. Do you generally push people away or do you ask, do you reach in and ask for help? And that can change all the time, even for one person, you know, I could catch you on a bad day and you're like, get away from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so that was my first. So I ended up ending off creating something. So what I would say is, um, yes, learn the basics of what your professors are teaching you, but at the end of the day, your art is your art. Um, and don't let them dictate, um, what your answers are or how your art's going to end up being, you know, stay true to what you want to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is such, that is such a prominent point too, especially after you have like a professor who's like, ah, oh, maybe you shouldn't do this. Like to then sort of like push through that resistance and be like, no, I'm going to put something up and like, this is important to me. I'm going to make it something that is mine and I'm going to seek out inspiration and to then sort of like apply and learn these things and put it in to create something. And, and I think like the biggest thing, this is something that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about lately is because I've noticed in my own life, like, I've been trying to do a lot of more writing and, and, and use that as a creative outlet. But a lot of time mm -hmm. I'll start writing and be like, ah, oh, this isn't good. Like, this isn't good enough. This isn't like <laughs> what I want it to be. You know, like I was like, ah, yeah. I can't believe I wrote that. Um, I don't want to put that anywhere. You know, that same kind of resistance of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, am I going to put my work out there? But actually knowing that, that, that I think getting rid of those standards or those expectations, because you learn through the practice mm -hmm. of doing like, and even if yes. it fails misery, you know, like, like to, you know, you had these hands coming out of the wall. There was one time where a friend of mine and I decided we were going to do an immersive art exhibit. And we collected um, artworks from like 12 different artists from different places around the world. And then we did performance art pieces um, around those performances. So it was kind of this like curated wow. exhibition. Yeah. Um, and we were last minute, we'd never done anything like this before. We were trying to market it, run it, organize it, and also run everything at the same time. It was just chaos. We had, mm -hmm. we had about eight people show up to the, to the show um, who were all like family and friends. Yeah, and the, yeah. And, and the second they walked into the studio that we were exhibiting in, all of the paintings fell off the wall and all the photos fell off the wall and shattered everywhere. And it no. was just, and, and it was just like, it was like, it was like, what? Like, how <laughs> did this, like, it was just like everything we worked for just sort of collapsed. But. And I remember thinking the two of us sort of that night were just like, oh, that was just like a complete failure. Um, mm -hmm. But then I'd already spoken to friends of mine to do the show, a similar show, like an adapted version of the show in my hometown of Brisbane, Australia. And, and the next morning I had to make the call whether I was going to wire the money to book our space. And I, my like instinct, I was like, no, I'm going to do it. Like that one failed, mm -hmm. but like we can make sure this one doesn't. And, and it was like the lessons that we learned from that first exhibition made the second one a success. Like the second one we had was sold out. 
We had we had oh, to turn awesome. people away. <laughs> like no paintings fell off the yeah. wall. Everything was great. Yeah. But like it's that process of then like oh, yeah. learning and being willing to fail and give things a go that I think is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I think too with art, and I don't know if this goes for everything. Like let's say finance, but mistakes matter. You know what yeah. I mean? They may not. They definitely um, hurt. You know, numbers wise, like in finance or something. But mistakes matter. Mm-hmm in art and I think it's normal to doubt I still doubt myself every time like why am I doing this this is stupid and then I move on like no it's just a thought and then just move on from it it's just a thought yeah well I mean yeah that's a really interesting point is that awareness like building that awareness of like when that that sort of inner critic critic that voice sort of comes in and that awareness of like that's just a thought like it's not I that's not me that's not the truth of this situation that is just this thought that's coming up to hold me back like in a way like in the words of sort of Stephen Pressfield you know that is resistance that is holding you back (laughs) from doing your work like Mm -hmm. and 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 that ability to overcome that I think is really important um Mm -hmm. when when you sort of look back on on your career um as we're sort of talking about failure and stuff or and mistakes like what would you say are some of the the mistakes or failures that have then set you up for later success hmm the mistakes that have helped so um that's a good question you know you know what I think is one mistake that kind of helped me Um, And I think I told you this, that a couple of months ago is actually one of my first times showing the public my work since that first exhibit. I kind of, you know, when I had to go for my master's uh, degree to get, you know, to start becoming a therapist, I stopped doing my work. I was kind of tainted from being um, in an art program where it was like foundations, foundations, foundations. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then um, coronavirus hit and we're mandated to stay in. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to start some art. And this is kind of what transpired. But I also think I'm ready for it now um, where I can handle any sort of criticism or I can handle it being not good as maybe it's supposed to be. Um, So I think the mistake of not doing anything until this moment in my life was probably the right mistake. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, it's also, you know, it's all, it's all to do with sort of retrospect, like our, our, our perspective shapes everything, you know, like when, when we're able to then look back and go, oh, like that actually set me up for this moment, you know, like mm-hmm. now that you've got this work going and, and, and that's, that's awesome. When, when you sort of like look forward at your career, obviously you're doing the, the art therapy side of things. Where, where does your own artistic practice fit into that? Is that something that you sort of want the two of them working working together or are are you more connected to one from a career perspective um well okay so I'm gonna try to answer this as best I can I'm more connected to the art therapy primarily because it makes money yeah right um but you know of course I'm I'm more connected to my own work because as I think anyone any artist that makes work you are your a piece of your work you know whatever you're showing there's a piece of you in it right so I'm obviously I'm more attached to it um but I also try and share that aspect in art therapy with other people like here I this is what I'm doing on my own now I'm sharing it with you so you know, it kind of goes back and forth, you know, it's different types of attachments. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's also, I mean, it's really beautiful that then those experiences you have as an artist kind of like infuse in, in, in your therapy work as well, because you're having those experiences, you're able to bring that to the table. Um, I, I'm interested, you know, like, like, it is such an interesting thing as, as, as artists and as creators, like, especially, I know I can speak from my experience, like money has always been one of those things that's like, oh, like, far out, like, you know, like, as much as I want to just go off the grid and like make art and like, like have an impact mm-hmm. through creative stuff, like there is that reality of like, needing to have an income and, and, and have some stability there. Have like what what has been your relationship with with money as an artist like growing up like obviously sort of art became in sort of later in life but was it did do you feel like maybe the security you have in in your employment knowing that it is connected to something you are passionate about um Mm -hmm. to then do your art on the side is is that does that combination really work for you yeah it does I don't think I don't think I would ever see myself doing my own artwork full-time although I'll never say never right I have no idea Um, but I like doing it on the side and I think that I'm supposed to kind of be doing what I'm doing right now full-time anyway. And yes, you know, I'm not going to lie. Love the stability, love the security. Don't feel like going from artwork to artwork with that pressure and that stress of being like, I have to make something good so that it sells because maybe some people do it better, but I feel like for me, it would take the genuine, uh, the genuineness out of what I'm doing. Um, I don't think it would be as authentic as I would want it to be. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That I, I think that that is such a, a good point is because like like knowing that like if if you have to sell your art, like if the point is like if you're making art because you know you have to sell it to make money, mm-hmm. like then I think it loses the the ability to like not have expectations to for it to be a process yeah. that can ebb and flow and be whatever it, it decides it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's that freedom there. That's really really beautiful. And 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 to sort of segue back, like I'm really interested about one thing I'm sort of interested about at the moment is is how our experiences in life shape our creative process and our creative practice and the work you know, that, that we're making and this idea a that, lot. you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and the idea that, you know, like our stories, like, like we, we, we experience life and, and we accumulate these stories. And then in a way, like our art is our way of sort of telling bits of those stories in a way that only we can. Is mm-hmm. that something that resonates with you? And, and, and are there experience throughout your life that, that you sort of really see influencing your work as it moves forward? Yeah. Um, and especially as an art therapist, you know, right away, you know, and one of the things we do as assessments is, you know, I'll tell you to draw a house, right? Your house, whatever you're drawing, it's going to look significantly different than my house. Why? Because of whatever going on in our past, you know what I mean? If you have a house that has, you know, two parents, mom and dad in it, the, the mom and dad are both going to be included in that house. Whereas maybe if I grew up with just a mom and my dad died, he's not going to, he's most likely not going to be in that house. Um, so that's just like a small example. Um, but those are the types of differences that you would see when you ask someone else to draw that. Um, and I see like when I make my own stuff, some, some of the maps that I try and make a little bit, maybe a little bit more darker, I look at him like that's disgusting. And it when I say that to myself, I feel like I'm looking at darker parts of me um, where I'm like, I don't like it. You know what I mean? Um, and but I'm talking about maybe those parts of me that I don't like. Um, 
So that's interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so would you like, are, are there things that sort of you've really learned about yourself through, through your art? Like, like, is there any sort of like, as you look back on, on, on your work and, and the, the sort of, um, sort of messages and stories you're telling, you know, are there any lessons that you've got about yourself that, that you've got from those? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, as a therapist, sometimes you think, um, you've learned all you can about yourself because you have all this, you know, knowledge. And as I'm making these masks and I'm like, yeah, I have a mask, but I have a good handle on mine. You know, I realize no, I don't. Um, I have maybe another mask that I wear too, um, that I wasn't really sure about until now. Um, and now I have to kind of figure that one out. Um, so it's definitely taught me to always stay in this growing sort of place with my own mental health, that there are still even things for me that I hide. Um, and being okay with that because that's also a natural part of being a human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And that's, that's like really powerful also to, to, I think, you know, all of this comes around from a creative side, from sort of like a relationship with self side, this, the, the development of, of self-awareness and like our ability to sort of like, like see out, see the work we create and like, like almost like as, as a reflection, you know, is, 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 is really like powerful and beautiful. And, and, and our therapy now is like something I really want to sort of like learn more about and keep, continue to delve into because it sounds like as a practice, like, like, from my mind as, as someone who is like a creator is also as someone who has struggled with mental illness, like I, it, they've always been very separate, but it makes so much sense for them to sort of like come together and, and it be sort of a practice that sort of um, sort of like interrelates and, 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 you know, using art as a way to sort of like help mm-hmm. you work through those things is, is really, really powerful. Um, I, one, one sort of last thing where I want to take this conversation, you know, based off our of earlier communications was you had mentioned laughter as playing a really big role in your life. And I was wondering if we could touch on that, because I feel like a lot of the times, especially, you know, at least from my experiences with therapy, like sometimes it's very like serious, like, like, you mm-hmm. know, things get taken very seriously. Oh, we're, you know, like it's all analysis, you know, even, even college when I'd sort yeah. of taken some courses around psychology, it's very like here, it's like how it is, this is how it all works what role does laughter play in your life first and foremost, and then also maybe in your work as a, as an artist and a therapist? Sure. Um, and I'm oh, sorry, my cat just jumped on the table. Oh, you're good. Um, <laughs> so also too, with artists, I realized that they may struggle this with this as well. So hopefully some people are like, yes. Um, I like to consider myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, I'm a huge, huge perfectionist. Um, and at one point in time, that perfectionism made me so serious because everything had to be perfect. Um, and as I started kind of like relaxing and just being more silly and like making myself laugh, you know, especially in a moment of, I would say like, maybe like stress, um, I'll make myself, you know, laugh. Um, and it completely eases whatever tension I have from dealing with that perfectionism. And I then realize that it's not that serious and whatever happens, it's okay. So I'm just going to enjoy this moment. It almost kind of brings me back to the moment. And that's what I love the most about it. Cause I'd rather be present than in my head. Um, because I've had moments in my life where I missed what was going on. Um, and I don't want to do that. Wow, that really, really resonates with me. 
um, because I, I like in a similar way, like like I definitely consider myself a perfectionist, especially, you know, I've recently graduated college, but like all throughout that experience, like I, I like perfectionism sort of ran rampant in my life and also just like a need to like for me it was like I needed to work like work was kind mm-hmm. of like I was like so attached to my work and this idea of oh I'm doing big things I'm chasing big things like this validates who I am and then in doing that like I miss so many of the little moments you know like so many of the little moments that like I wish I could like go back now and just sit in a little bit longer and like enjoy mm-hmm. them and be present you know with those people you know um and especially now sort of like reconciling that in the in the you know COVID era where now I've had to fly home to Australia and you know my college experience in the U.S. is now over and all of these friends and relationships I had with people in the U.S. now um uh are, you know blocked by border security and and you know like like mm-hmm. it's just the the reality I think of of those times is put into such a new perspective now when mm-hmm. when when you've moved past it and it's not accessible and I think you're exactly right I think laughter and humor and taking ourselves a little less seriously is like a really beautiful tool in allowing us to embrace where we're at in this moment and to enjoy the present moment mm-hmm. no definitely and and on that note like like is presence something that plays a role in in your life like like this awareness of presence and trying to be present like is that something that you connect with and that you sort of like try and experience what what is your relationship with presence um I try to as much as I can (laughs) um and this happened to me too before coronavirus but you know I I remembered at one point in time I was working at this beautiful yacht club and it was right on the ocean and we didn't we were getting paid money we didn't really have to work we just socialized with all these you know people they took us out on yachts and it was probably one of the best summers and I missed it um I think I had so much anxiety and I was worried about things and I always think about it and regret that I miss that. And so I always try to stay present, even if I'm laughing with myself over like, I don't know, something like funny just happened on television or like I'm thinking of something stupid I did the other day. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, like kind of like letting it go. Um, it's, it's a huge relief for me. Um, but then there's moments where I'm in my head and I just, and you can't judge it too. You got to just be like, okay, well now I'm just going to be present, you know? Um, so it's definitely a practice. It's not something you're going to do overnight and be like this perfect, you know, guru that's always in the present moment. Um, but it's worth it. Even if it's just like a couple moments a day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you can't, you can't let that perfectionist come back in and, and try exactly. to, it'll, it'll come back if you <laughs> let it, don't let it do it. Cause then you're going to be like, you know what? I wasn't present enough times a day. No, that's perfectionism. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. let it come in. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly it. Well, I think that's a really beautiful spot to sort of start to wrap up our, our conversation. I just want to acknowledge you first and foremost, you know, um, for the work that you're putting out for, you know, the, your willingness to be vulnerable in this conversation have this conversation. Um, it's, it's such a, I'm, I'm so incredibly blown away just by the, the technology in this world that allows us to meet online and then, and for me to see your work and then to connect with you and have this conversation. So thank you so much for all the work you do. And thank you for this conversation. I'm, I'm so grateful we got to connect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and the time you gave me on this. 
First of all, congratulations. You just listened all the way through our podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you as part of the Story Network community. If you enjoyed the conversation, it would mean the world to us if you could like, share, review, and subscribe to let us know that you're listening. We are on a mission to build the largest and most diverse community of storytellers, creators, and innovators from around the world, and we can't do that without your help. You can check us out on Instagram, at The Real Story Network, and over on YouTube and Facebook, at The Story Network. My name is Zed Hopkins, you're amazing, and we are The Story Network. Woo! The Story Network. See you next week.